Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. So we're beginning a series um, to really get us in the Christmas spirit, and we're going to talk about Christmas stuff for the next few weeks. Whatever we're going to talk about Santa. Um, we're going to talk about Elf on the Shelf. Um, we're going to. I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to talk about Jesus. The re- tis the season, the reason for the season, and all of that good stuff. Um, but we're, we're the, the series. The title for the series is for the sake of others. And this is the idea, the the new series that we're kicking off. And really, this is sort of the question that we're going to be asking. Is what is the motivation behind what you do? Oftentimes, um, we are pretty selfish, right? We're pretty self-focused. We know this because... um, uh, if you if you take like a group photo, like if I were to take a group photo of you right now, this is a classic illustration. I'm going to use it. Um, if I were to take a group photo of us right now, there would be one determining factor on whether or not it's a good photo or a bad photo. It would be dependent upon how you look in the photo, right? It doesn't matter if somebody else is sneezing or if they aren't in the photo or if they're looking the other way. If you look good in the photo, it's a great photo, right? This photo is great. Hannah and I will take photos together, my wife and I. And it does not matter what I look like in the photo, in her mind. She will swipe through 500 photos and f- land on the one she likes. And my eyes could be closed and I could be looking up at this guy with my eyes closed. And she'd be like, this is the one because I look great in it. Because we're kind of, in and of ourselves, we're, we're kind of, a lot of the things that we do are self-motivated. We're self-focused. We're selfish. Even things, even when it comes to spiritual things, we drive a lot of motion or, or excuse me, motivation um, from self. You know, I think I, we can even look at Christianity. I am a Christian for what I get out of it. My personal salvation or eternal life or I want peace or purpose or perspective or I want to see the favor of God in my life. And a lot of times our motivation behind even Christian things, spiritual things, can be selfish. Now, not all of those things are bad. In fact, a lot of those things are biblical things like salvation, eternal life, peace, purpose. But sometimes our motivation behind what we do is very selfish. And this series, we're going to explore how we live not for ourselves, but for the sake of others. Because everything that God does for you and in you is meant to flow through you. That's kind of the idea of this series. That everything that God does for you and in you is meant to flow through you. You are not the final destination of the grace of God, the message of God, the plans of God, the goodness of God. Everything that God does for you and in you is so that it can go through you to somebody else. Because the life that we've experienced in Christ, we were never meant to be the final destination of that. That God actually wants to use your life to, be, to bring that message of hope and peace and salvation and life to other people around you. And so how can we sort of zoom out and not so, be so self-motivated behind what we do, but begin to look at life through this filter, through this lens of saying that my life is actually designed to be a, a conduit of the grace of God. That God's grace comes to me so that it can flow through me onto other people. And especially as we move into the Christmas season, which can be um, a very sort of contradictory season. 
Like, I feel like this with Thanksgiving especially. Thanksgiving, like, really confuses me, especially in, like, how we do it. Because it's like, okay, everyone stop what you're doing and be thankful. Just be thankful for 24 hours. But then don't forget, tomorrow's Black Friday and there's sales, so be greedy tomorrow. But today, be thankful. And there's kind of like, and, and Christmas is kind of that way too. It's like, we slow down, we remember the holiday season, but make sure, Santa, you get everything on my list. Like, I've been real good all year. Santa, don't let me down. And there's this kind of like, I don't know, I'm not trying to be Scrooge and like be against Christmas. I love Christmas. But what I'm saying is sometimes there's this real contradiction in how we view things. And even, and especially with our Christianity, we can become very selfish and contradictory on how we view the gospel. And so I want us to, as we go, carry the mind of Christ. And sort of that's where we're going to begin, is with the mind of Christ. And I've titled this message tonight, Why Did Jesus Come? Why did Jesus come? What is the reason for the Christmas season? And now the Christmas season, it's all about the birth of Christ. We celebrate Easter because that's the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Christmas season is all about the birth of Christ. And so we're reminded this, this time of year about Christ's coming. But why did he come? It wasn't so that people could, would have an excuse to buy and get presents. Um, it wasn't for the songs, although they're very catchy. Um, it wasn't for the cute nativity scenes, although those are great. Jesus came for a reason on a mission. So I want us to look at the reason Jesus came um, to motivate us to live with that same mindset. Now, 11 times in the Gospels... Jesus makes the statement, I have come. He makes that statement 11 different times in the four Gospels. I have come, followed by a reason for the incarnation or for the reason God became flesh. And we don't have time to look at all 11 of them, but I want us to look at three primary reasons Jesus came. Three primary reasons Jesus came as we celebrate Christmas, the, 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 the birth of Jesus, the nativity scene, glory to God in the highs, and all of that. Um, why did Jesus come? Why do we do all of that? Why did he do all of that? So three things we'll look at. Number one is this. He came to fulfill the word. He came to fulfill the word. First verse, we're going to kind of jump around um, tonight. The first verse is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, um, which is an exceptional sermon um, that Jesus gives. But in the middle of it, he says this. He says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, he says, I have not come to abolish. You could say, I have come. Jesus, here's a statement, a reason why he came, a reason for the incarnation, a reason for the birth of Christ. I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now the law you can summarize as the ways of God. And the prophets you can summarize as the plans of God. So the ways of God and the plans of God. And it is the summarization of the Bible up until that point. So from, from Genesis to Malachi. 
And there's a period, and then there's a blank space of about 400 years between Malachi and Matthew chapter 1, the birth of Christ. And so the, sum, the summarization of Genesis to Malachi is the law and the prophets. And Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish or remove those. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus came as the fulfillment to the plans and ways of God. Now, one of the things that makes Jesus the Messiah, makes Jesus the Savior, is all the things that he fulfilled concerning the word of God. Now, there are over 300 prophecies written in the Old Testament surrounding the coming Messiah. Okay, so from the beginning, you actually see this all the way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve are in the garden and they rebel against God... Right? God said, you can, you can live in the garden, you can eat of every tree that you want except for one tree, don't eat of that. They disobey God, they eat of the tree they're not supposed to, and we're told that sin and death enters the world. And in that very moment, God reveals to us his plan. He says, there is a day coming, born of the seed of a woman, and he basically promises the Messiah. And then from there, throughout the Bible, there are over 300 prophecies given about this, this Messiah, the Savior that's going to come to buy back, to redeem humanity that was lost in the Garden of Eden. Are you guys with me? So 300 prophecies surrounding the coming Messiah, including things about his birth, life, ministry, and death. And Jesus fulfills them all. Now, there are at least 11 prophecies that Jesus fulfills in his birth alone. So before he even does anything, says anything, before he even learns to walk, Jesus has already fulfilled 11 of these biblical prophecies. Uh, three of them, briefly, one is born of a virgin that is prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4. That's fulfilled in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. Another one, he's going to be born in a town called Bethlehem. That was prophesied in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It was fulfilled in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. And then a third one is that he would be of the lineage of David to be a king. That was prophesied in Isaiah 9 verse 7 and fulfilled in Luke chapter 1 verse 32. The list goes on and on like this. Jesus fulfilling every single prophecy about the coming Messiah. So Jesus in his coming... He says that I have come not to abolish, not to remove, not to do away with, but as the completion of, as the fulfillment to all of the prophecies. Should I do it, Shane? All right. I, I, don't, I was like, I don't know if I was going to do this. There's this, there, it's because it's kind of too classic, but it's good. So you probably haven't heard it, so I'm going to go for it. Okay, so there was a guy, um, there was a professor, a guy named Peter Stoner of a professor in California that was base, a science professor and a mathematician. He basically set out to mathematically dis, or give us the probability of Jesus fulfilling these, pro, these prophecies. The, the list is too comprehensive and too long for us to get a real number to understand it. But for Jesus to fulfill just eight of the prophecies, okay, so for an individual to fulfill just eight of the prophecies, it's one out of 10 to the 17th power. 
So it's one out of 10 with 17 zeros following it. Okay, that's a big number. A number that I definitely don't know what that number is called other than one or 10 to the 17th power. So this guy, uh, Professor Stoner, he basically gave us an illustration of what that would be like. And to illustrate it, he said it would be like if you took a silver dollar. Do you guys know what a silver dollar is? Or a, a, a coin that's a dollar, whatever. Um, and you took silver dollars and you filled the entire state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. Okay? So take the state of Texas, fill it two feet. This stage is about two and a half feet deep or tall. So imagine two foot deep um, of silver dollars. And then take one silver dollar and put a marking on it. Let's put a red smiley face on it, okay? So you take that red smiley face and then you get up in a helicopter and you begin to fly around the state of Texas. And then whenever you decide, you chuck out that one silver dollar into the sea of silver dollars that is in the state of Texas two feet deep. And then you have a buddy blindfolded and begin to wander the state of Texas throughout those silver dollars. And then whenever that buddy decides, they bend down and pick up a random silver dollar. The chance of that person grabbing the silver dollar that, they, that you threw out is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. So the chance of Jesus fulfilling just 8, we're not even talking about the 300, okay? Just 8 of the prophecies that he fulfilled, we, we, he fulfills 11 just in his birth is like you grabbing that silver dollar or your friend grabbing that silver dollar. Jesus came as the fulfillment, the, the completion, the fulfillment of the word of God. And he was the Messiah of promise to come and take away the sins of the world. That's one of the reasons why he came. The second reason he came, point number two, is to do the will of God. It's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? That little math problem thing. Shout out Professor Stone or wherever he's at. All right, um, point two, Jesus has come to do the will of God. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 38, he says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I have come down from heaven. Here's a reason he came. Not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus' objective and motivation behind why he came was to do the will of the Father. Now, <clears throat> this brings up the distinction between God the Father and God the Son. I don't want to get into all of that tonight. I don't have, I've got a timer. I've got to be done by 8.10. We don't have time to get into the complexity of the Trinity, okay? So let me just say three quick statements about this idea. <clears throat> the Bible teaches that there's only one God. The Bible teaches that the Godhead is made up of three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is one. Complex in his unity. Distinct in role or responsibility, yet co-equal with each other. All right, I'm just going to leave, leave that there. 
You're like, that makes no sense at all. That's fine. It doesn't have to make sense. It's God. But Jesus reveals to us that in his coming to earth to fulfill the law and the prophets, ultimately to die on the cross for your sins and for mine, was in submission to the will of God, to the will of the Father. That, there, that three unique persons that make up the Godhead with different roles and responsibilities, yet equal in both glory, majesty, and with one another. Jesus' role in the salvation of humanity was in submission and surrender to the Father. And everything he did was to bring glory to the Father and not of his own will or desire, but in perfect harmony with the Father. And this is illustrated really well in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, fast forward from the birth of Christ about 33 years to the end of his life. And on the night where he would be betrayed by one of his best friends in this garden, where he would be led away to be uh, uh, put on a, uh, uh, an illegal trial in the middle of the night, where ultimately he was condemned to death, where he would die on a cross. Um, that night when he was betrayed, he's in a garden by himself praying. And he's praying this prayer. He says this, Luke chapter 22, verse 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In other words, if there is another way for me to redeem humanity, if there is another way other than the cross for me to redeem humanity, he says, take that cup from me. And then he says this, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus submits himself to the will, the plans of God. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He's fully God and fully capable of doing anything and everything he wanted to do. But he wanted to do, and what he did was the will of the Father. Not for his own sake, but for the sake of the Father. Okay, I'm, I'm painting a picture right now that I will give us application in the, in the end. But what I want us to see so far is Jesus came to fulfill the word of God. He came to, to submit and to accomplish the will of the Father. And then thirdly, lastly, he came to give his life for the world. Jesus came to give his life for the world. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, he says this, the thief comes, he's speaking of Satan or the devil, the, the accuser of the Christian, the follower of Jesus. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says that there's a liar out there that wants to trick you into living your life for something that will never satisfy he wants to trick you, he wants to steal from you, he wants to kill you, and he ultimately wants to destroy you. He says, I have come that you may find life and have it to the full. Jesus came so that they may have life to the full. That they is anyone. Whoever believes in Jesus can have relationship with him. So he has come so that anyone and everyone could have life to the full. Anyone that would place faith in him. And life to the full, that idea, is an abundant life. It's the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E, and it means the absolute fullness of life. Life real and genuine 
an active and purpose-filled life that is devoted to God and centered around the things of God. And this life is only found in relationship with Jesus. So Jesus came, listen to me, Jesus came so that others may find life. And he tells us in the next verse how others can find life. Look at John chapter 10, verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus came so that others may find life by laying down his own life. Jesus came, I'm going to say that again so it impacts. Jesus came so that others, so that we might find life, and he did that by laying down his own life. Finally, Jesus says this in Mark chapter 10 with the same idea. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to be served, even though he has every reason to be served. He came to serve and to give his life for the world. The word serve that is used there, it means, it's, it means to attend to anything that may serve another's interests or needs. That's a pretty strong word. That Jesus came to serve other people. In other words, he came to attend to anything that may serve another's interests or needs. Everything that Jesus did, and one of the main reasons he came, was for the sake of others. He came to lay down his life so that others may find life. He came to lay down his own life so that you and I could find life. An eternal life, a life that lives on forever in harmony and relationship with God, but also abundant life, a life that begins now filled with purpose and peace and opportunity and the favor of God on your life that God wants you to access now and forever. Jesus came introducing, inviting us into that life, and he did that by laying down his own life. Everything that Jesus did was for the sake of others, not for his own benefit, not, on his, not in his own comfort, not for his own motives. Everything was in fulfillment to the word of God, submission to the will of God, and benefit to the world. Here's my point of application. This is what I want us to think about. And, and as we sort of, I just wanted you to see who Jesus is. That's why he came. And it's, I mean, one of 11 self-proclaimed reasons for why he came, or three of 11. Um, but Jesus, everything that he did was in fulfillment to the word of God, submission to the will of God, and benefit to the world. What about us? What about us? What's the motivation behind what we do? Worship team, you guys can come up here as I close. Are we willing to live our lives for the sake of others? Are you wanting to walk out and fulfill what God has said for you to do found in his word? God has put out in his word ways that you can walk with him and things that you can walk out for him. 
Are you wanting to walk out and fulfill what God has said for you to do in his word? Are you willing to lay down your own desires and ambitions to walk in God's plans? Like we sang about tonight, are you willing to take up a cross? The cross is a picture of death, right? The cross is the picture of ultimately where Jesus would go and die. We've romanticized the cross. We make it pretty. It's cool. Like we wear it on our neck. That's awesome. Back then, it was not that cool. It'd be like the equivalent of wearing like a lethal injection or the electric chair around your neck. Like that seems a little morbid and messed up. Because the cross was a symbol of death. So are we willing to lay down our own life, our own desires, our own ambitions to walk in God's plans? And listen, are you willing to inconvenience yourself so that other people may find life in Jesus? You know, I think if we work, if we work, um, I guess, forward the way we talked about it, it kind of starts farthest away and ends closest to home. The word of God, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's words on the page, and we, could, we can sort of um, uh, read it and let it get into our mind and not actually affect our life. And so the word of God, God has plans, God has direction, God has fulfillment that he wants you to walk in. Um, but we can kind of keep it at arm's distance. And then to lay down our life, it's very romantic. Like it's very like, oh, of course. But it's hard to like practically do that. Most of us probably won't have opportunity to physically lay down our life for somebody else. But for us to, like Jesus said, not be served, but to serve. For us to inconvenience ourselves so that other people can find life in Jesus. That, that really, I think, comes close to home. Are you willing to inconvenience yourself so that other people may find life in Jesus? And the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to live for the sake of others. But our motivation and example comes from Christ. It's best summarized this, this way in Philippians chapter 2. It says this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others. And ready, this is our motivation. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being, the, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let this mind, this mind that Jesus willingly left heaven, came to earth, humbled himself to the point of not just humanity, but death on a cross. Let this mind be also in you. Let's not look out for our own interests only, but also for the interests of others. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but with humility. 
How can my life be a blessing to somebody else? How can I live my life for the sake of others? Because listen, we, we are living in a generation of anxiety and worry and depression and being overwhelmed and, and, and comparison and never enough. And listen, I know you are dealing with that and so is somebody else. And maybe God wants to use your life because of the hope that you have in Jesus to impact somebody that's walking through the same things without the hope of Jesus in their life. So how can you allow the grace of God to get to you in such a deep way that it doesn't stop at you, but it flows through you into the life of people around you? And you say, my life is going to be for the sake of others so that other people can find life in Christ. Jesus says, I came so that you can have life, and I'm going to give you that life by laying down my own life. Maybe somebody else in your world needs that life that's going to be found for them as you inconvenience yourself and lay down your life for them.